This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Now, the art of improvising and playing great jazz solos tends to be a mysterious thing for those on the outside looking in. Like, what are the advanced and pro-level jazz musicians thinking about when they improvise? How are they able to spontaneously create things? Are they thinking about scales? Are they thinking about chord tones? Are they thinking about licks that they've learned? Are they thinking about a particular emotion when they're playing? Like, what is creating this ability to create spontaneously in great improvisations? Well, in today's episode, I'm going to actually uncover that in myself to see if we can get inside of what I'm actually thinking when I'm improvising so that hopefully you can take that information and that knowledge and apply it to your solos so that you do create great improvisations. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz, all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. So excited about this one. You know, one question that I find comes up quite a bit in my monthly jazz masterminds, which is a live Q&A session I do once a month for my inner circle members, is this concept of, hey, what are you thinking when you improvise? Or what are pro or advanced level jazz musicians thinking about when they improvise? Because it can seem so mysterious as to what's going on in your head. Uh, Improvisation and that mental space that you're in while you're improvising just seems like there's a sweet spot, right? Um, And I'm going to talk about that a little bit in this episode. But what I'm also going to do is I have gone ahead and recorded myself improvising over three choruses of the jazz standard called uh, There Is No Greater Love. We happen to also be studying this in our Inner Circle membership this month. And I recorded myself improvising over uh, this tune uh, because I also had the question, like, what am I thinking about? When people ask me that question, I have an answer that I go to. However, I I think there's still a question mark even for myself, like what's actually going inside my head? So as much as this episode is for you, it's also kind of for me to kind of see what is actually going on. And let's see if we can unpack some of the things and the deeper context within them that could help you actually think about jazz improvisation in a different way than you've been thinking about it already. Sound good? Well, we're going to dive into that in one second. But of course, we have to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor is, of course, our very own LGS Inner Circle membership. Uh, This is our membership where we learn a new jazz standard every single month in our Jazz Standards Club, Uh, complete with etudes, complete with training videos, complete with an amazing community of other musicians playing together. Of course, we have courses and in-depth practice programs. You have to guess what you need to practice and how you can improve quickly. We have it all in the inner circle. So do check it out, ljsinnercircle.com. We're not just there learning new information. We're actually applying that information by actually practicing and staying motivated together. It doesn't matter what instrument you play. I mean, we have pretty much all of them uh, as separate drummers, I would say. This is a perfect membership for you. So ljsinnercircle.com. Look forward to seeing you in there as a member. Now let's jump right to it. Let's start taking a look at my jazz playing and seeing what we can learn. Okay, so first what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the solo that I recorded over There Is No Greater Love, and just listen to the whole thing first. I only took three choruses, and I further, I didn't really take very many takes of it. I really only you know did a, a, a second or third take because I, well, I messed up really hard at the beginning or something like that, just something that wouldn't be very uh, conducive for teaching uh, this episode. So for the most part, I tried to, to, to not to do too many takes of this because... I didn't want myself to start, you know, memorizing certain things I was doing to try to sound good for the, the show. I didn't want to try to 
Um, I didn't want to try to like hurt the process as as little as possible of me just improvising organically and then us trying to dissect it together. So with that in mind, let's give it a listen. So now that you've heard what the improvisation sounds like, let's start going through it and seeing if we can kind of start picking apart um, what was going through my head and uh, let's see what we can learn. So let's just start playing it from the beginning and I'll just stop it uh, when I want to say something. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. So let's see. Okay, so first of all, I don't think I was thinking about any scales or anything, which is kind of the first lesson I want to teach you here. Um, this is technically, that kind of comes from like the major pentatonic. So in my head, I was not thinking the major pentatonic. I'm going to play the major pentatonic. Does that make sense? I just kind of heard this idea, right, of something that I played before. Uh, that's going to be the lesson number two, but I'll go into that in more detail. So then I went something like, uh, I think something like that. Something like that. So I started the line. Okay. Then I repeated it. And the important note there, all I did was repeat the same thing, but the important note was the um, the seventh of the E flat seven. So the chords go B flat seven to E flat seven. So when I'm, when I'm playing that line, I'm changing one note there 
so I can outline that E flat seven. So you can still take the same ideas that you have and just manipulate the notes a little bit. So what was I thinking when I was doing that? Was I literally thinking like, oh, I just played that line. Now I'm going to play the same thing again, but I'm going to change the note. Um, so the answer is yes and no, because in my experience of playing, I know that it's a great idea to add theme and variation to it. But was I consciously thinking it in the moment? Not necessarily. However, I think though that when I was playing that, you know, I'm a guitar player. I do see things a bit visually. So I probably was thinking about that flat seven and knowing where it was and what it sounds like. And so I definitely was intentionally thinking about hitting that. Okay, so chord tones to me are very important. I spell out the chord changes. So I do want to be thinking about chord tones. That being said, I'm not thinking in my head, hey, what is the what chord tone do I want to hit? I want to hit the seventh. What is the seventh of E flat seven? Oh, well, the seventh is D flat. I'm not thinking that, right? We, if, we, if we actually were thinking like that, we would not be able to improvise. It's one of those things that has to become automatic. And I think that there's an element of both your ears being able to hear sounds but also muscle memory, right? Just having muscle memory, however your instrument works for you, like if you're a saxophone player, piano player, bass player, whatever, that you're able to sort of map out your instrument and and know where those chord tones are and what they feel like. That's important, right? What they feel like. Um, so I think that's what I was thinking. Let's continue listening. Okay, that, okay, that was an interesting line there um right okay so this is another example how i really wasn't actually thinking (laughs) which um you know that's that uh, probably the biggest overarching lesson you're going to hear as we keep going through this is you're not actually thinking (laughs) and that's that's why you practice like the mechanics of like chord tones and things like this but if i'm going to break down what i did first i hit a non-chord tone The, the 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 chord that i was trying to resolve to was an E, uh, a C7, okay? That's the, the dominant two chord, okay? So I actually started on the 11th, which is kind of weird, the fourth. Then I did a chromatic approach tone to the ninth, so. And back to the fourth, which resolved to the third, and then the root, so. Now that to me, um, I wasn't thinking about anything there, but the concept of approach tones, right? And 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 having played lots of licks like that, and um, having heard sounds like that, and the muscle memory behind what that feels like to play on my guitar, that's more where that was coming from, right? So again, I wasn't thinking to myself, I'm gonna target the the ninth, and then resolve to the third and then hit the root like i wasn't thinking that consciously it's more of a muscle memory meets my ear meets i've done that before many times right Um, that's why if you've listened to this podcast for a while you'll hear me a lot of times not encourage you always to just practice improvising but to practice composing your solos Um, because if you can give yourself the opportunity to think about what you would like to play those are the kinds of things that will start really deepening inside of your muscle memory and the things that you start actually hearing so that you can improvise spontaneously. Um, okay, so let's keep going. Okay, this is a great lesson. So this was over uh, a C minor 7, F7 to the B flat. Seven. So basically, we're going for the second A here, and I played a line. I can't remember what I played before it. Like, not sure what I played, but I did play. Okay, now this is this is a very deliberate lick. So a lot of people ask me this question sometimes too. It's like, so how do I play licks organically? Like, how do I make, play licks so that I can't really that they that that it doesn't sound like I'm copy and pasting the lick. It's just that. 
you know, I learned this lick from a, a, a jazz great, or you composed your own lick that you really like. Like, how do I play that without actually consciously thinking about that? What I can assure you is I don't think I was consciously thinking, now I'm going to play this lick. Maybe as I started playing it, I, I knew what I was doing, right? But let's go back just a second in the recording, just a tad to see how I got there and if it sounds organic or not. Right, let's go back a little further. Here it comes. Yeah. I don't even really sort of remember the part that I played before that. It just, it sounded very organic to me anyways. When I played the little line that came before to that lick, it's a great altered lick, right? And that's, that's, that's the thing, you know, I really like that sound. I love how it perfectly like outlines an altered chord, right? So it's a great, great tune, and it resolves. Uh, sorry, a great lick, and it resolves to the third, and the third is a strong chord tone of the one chord. So it just sounds great, and therefore that's sort of an ism that's just sort of worked into my playing. It's not something I am consciously always planning on playing. It just it naturally comes out. And you know, I was at uh, Small's Jazz Club in uh, New York City uh, just the other night. Um, and I saw one of my my jazz guitar heroes, Peter Bernstein. If anybody uh, has been listening to the show for a while, you know that I love Peter Bernstein. And I was sitting there. Uh, Smalls is a wonderful club, very tight, very intimate. It's the best jazz club in the world, hands down to me. And so I was right in front of Peter. And I know Peter's playing so well. I've listened to all of his records. I've seen him live countless times. And as I was hearing him play, I... Constantly, I'm hearing what I would call Peter isms, right? Isms, like almost like they are licks that I know he's playing, but he is. It is so a part of the sound that of of his sound, of who he is, and he's played it so many times, and all this stuff that whenever you hear him play something that sounds like a Peter ism, right? It, it does sound organic and natural. It doesn't sound like a copy and paste lick. So one important lesson I want you to learn is that a lot of the time when you hear jazz musicians improvise, it's not necessarily that they're improvising things they have never played before, right? This is a common misconception about improvisation. It's like, wow, these musicians are playing things that they have never played before. And that is so not true, right? They've played similar things, even exact things over and over and over again, so much so to a point where it's second nature. It's in their ears. They can hear the jazz language. They can hear their approach over top of it. And the muscle memory on their instrument is so natural that just naturally those sorts of things are going to come out, right? And there's some musicians that are more um, uh, organically improvisational. Is that the way to say that? Than others, like there's some musicians. Um, one teacher a long time ago pointed out to me that Keith Jarrett is one of those musicians where, like, when you hear him improvising, it all almost sounds like it was an original idea that he had never done before. So there are there are great improvisers that do have that just incredible train of thought that that just happens when they improvise. But there's a lot of jazz musicians, like you listen to lots of the greats, Sonny Rollins and all the people, and you hear things that they're just doing over and over and over again, okay? So that's something to keep in mind. Um, let's keep listening. Okay, I'll stop there. So that was a nice, uh, if I do say so myself, that was a nice long stream of of eighth notes. Um, now that's another thing that is it's it's hard to say that I was thinking about anything there particularly, um, right? I, I can't even tell you. And I'm trying to even trying to even voice what I was thinking in that moment, right? Other than right, I, I'm hearing a longer phrase in my head. And I'm allowing the chord changes and the time to dictate where I'm going. But again, this boils back down to, uh, I was playing some chromatic ideas there. So I just continue that chromatic chromaticism, right? Because I want to be thinking about theme and variation. 
And again, am I thinking consciously, hey, I'm going to do some theme and variation now? It's like, no, it's something that I practiced before where I'm like, hey, how do I, how can I take that same line and transpose it, right, to another, to another place, right? So that's called conscious thinking in the practice room. But then the muscle memory and ear training and everything comes out when you're improvising, the more that you practice this stuff. Uh, let's continue on. Okay, that's another example of um, sort of an ism. I won't even 100% call it a lick, but an ism that I'd play over top of a minor 2-5-1. So the chords there, and there as no greater love, is A minor 7 flat 5 to D7 to G minor, right? So 2-5-1 and G minor, concert G minor. So for me to go, that's something that I just, I don't know, it just... That's just something that I learned on my instrument a long time ago, whether I don't even know where I learned it from, right? Maybe it was learning it from a lick that I learned. Maybe it was just me me experimenting. Maybe it, me, it was me at one point going like, hey, what if I started on the third of the five, right? And added the flat nine in there. So that happened ahead of time, but now it's... And then I believe I did something where I was like... Right? That's just an octave higher, right? So in, in, in my head, in my gut, I was feeling like, right? Staying here in the low register is cool, but... And that line I just played right there, which I believe I did in the recording. Okay. All this is chromatic approach, right? Targeting the flat three. So that's theoretically what I'm doing. And I've played that so many times, but again, I'm not thinking about, okay, I'm going to play a chromatic approach note now, and I'm going to do all this, and I'm, oh, I'm going to land on the third. I wasn't even thinking that at all. What I was, I was just feeling it. I was feeling what I wanted to do. Right, even that line I just played there. That's a great altered, basically just playing arpeggios. Well, I've done that so many times that that's just a natural feeling for me, right? So when you hear people say, take things through all 12 keys, um, when you hear people say, hey, take a liquor line and then try to figure out how to play it in your own way, all this stuff is about internalization and getting it deep into your psyche, okay? So let's keep playing and uh, see where we go from here. Okay, interesting. Um, I think I played something that was completely out of key there. Let's listen back. Okay, interesting. So what I did there is I went, I think I did, it's a C7 there, then F7 to B flat 7. So I think I did... Something about outlining that C7, right? And then I basically took that same shape, right, to outline the, the F7 there, which happens to be a, a, a flat nine, right? So just a chromatic half step down. That's outlining a C7. That's outlining an F7. I, mean, I don't know how I ended it, but I just repeated the same pattern again. So that's another lesson, patterns. Let's talk about patterns for a second. So when we practice patterns, whether it be chord tones or chord tone maps, we do a lot of chord tone mapping and guide tone mapping in our inner circle membership. Our inner circle members who are listening right now will know that. The reason we do a lot of that is because we're trying to create patterns. Or when we work on you know, stuff like that, you know, enclosure patterns, things like this, we're gaining that muscle memory of that particular pattern. So when you heard me go, right, I'm using a pattern here, bringing it down a half step, bring it down another half step because I know that works over a C7, F7, B flat seven. How do I know that that works? I've practiced it before. I've played it before. 
um again on the guitar it's a very visual thing as well so i can visualize where my fingers go and what the shapes look like like i can see the chords this is where it's a little bit different for horn players right and trumpet players you guys probably have your own ways of 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 visualizing what you're playing and the feelings of where your fingers go on the keys but it all comes down to the same concept. So patterns are really helpful for internalization. And so when I played that line, it really is coming out of me having repeated a pattern so many times that naturally I could create it and allow it to happen. Uh, Let's keep going. Okay, let's look at that part right there. So um, we'll rewind, rewind it again because... Basically, I heard some motific development, but I want to make sure. All right, let's listen. Okay, so that's the first motif. A motif is just like a melodic idea. So let's listen to what I do with it. Okay, so what I did is I actually targeted the seventh of the E flat seven, which is the next chord. So. Okay, so actually, technically, that actually isn't even in the key, right? So the the chord there should be D minor 7 flat 5 to G7 to C7. So B flat 7, E flat 7, D minor 7 flat 5, G7. But when I got to the E flat 7, I went, but then I went, so I actually sort of targeted that D minor 7 flat 5, the 7th, but those two notes aren't even in the key, but listen to how I resolve it. So it doesn't even matter that I didn't play something in key, right? Because I was following the motific line. Something like that. So in other words, here's another lesson here. If you follow a motific line, a a melodic idea, even if you play something that is technically not in key, if you resolve it to something that is and you're following a melodic movement, it can work. Now, again, that's what I'm doing, but what am I thinking? I'm thinking in that moment, I believe anyways, I'm thinking, here's a line. That's a nice sounding idea. Like I like the how it goes up in pitch. How many times can I... How many times can I take that into other directions to continue moving that melodic line? So that is a conscious thought, right? So it's this weird this weird thing of like we're going into the subconscious, that pattern, that muscle memory that you're training, and then sometimes we are making conscious choices in the moment, right? And we're just kind of transitioning back and forth from those moments. Okay, continue listening to the tune. Okay, interesting. So I played a bluesy line there, right? I think I played that, and that ended the form. No, sorry, that ended the A section. No, it ended the form. Okay, so that was a bluesy line, and then I think the next thing I played is over top of the B flat. Okay, now that's just like a a, a bluesy line. I heard myself go. And I was like, ooh, that's bluesy. Now let's continue with the blues. Right? So then I found another area where I think about the blues on my instrument, right? So part of that is conscious, but part of that is the subconscious. It's like the muscle memory of like, right, we're in B flat, and those are some notes that I know sound really good, really bluesy, and connect with me on a patternistic level, right? Okay, let's keep listening. Right? There's motific development again. Something like that, right? So it's taking that same line and continually moving it. So again, practicing motific development and practicing forcing yourself to continue melodic ideas in the practice room is a good idea so that when you actually get into a spontaneous improvisation moment, 
those tendencies feel more natural to you. Uh, let's keep listening. Okay, there's uh, there's another spot where uh, something interesting happened. Let's uh, go back a bit to listen to it. Okay, so this is over the C7. I played something just naturally. Uh, what did I play? Okay, but the point is, just naturally when I was playing, I hit the sharp 11 of the C7. Now, I can tell you straight away, I don't think this was entirely an intentional move, right? I wasn't intentionally necessarily thinking about it. Right? It just sort of kind of popped up. And again, muscle memory kind of come into play. But as soon as I hit that sharp 11, I consciously knew it, right? I consciously knew it. I knew it because I can see it on, the, on my guitar. I knew it because I can hear the sound, right? I know what a sharp 11 sounds like. And so immediately I played off of it. Let's listen how I played off of it. Something like... I did something like that. And then just continued the line up. I don't remember how I did it, but let's keep listening. Okay, so now notice how I kind of went up in register. And again, this is a very gut feeling thing when you're in the moment of improvisation. Uh, it could be that you on your instrument are feeling yourself, you know, you're going up there, right? You play something that you're that you know how to play already. And then your gut just kind of tells you, let's keep going up in the register, because maybe you've been hanging out too low. I think I played something like that there. Let's listen to it. Oh, let's try to play from here. What's that line? Right. So this, this, that particular pattern is something that, again, on my instrument, I've practiced that many times. So that's basically just me outlining an, an altered dominant seventh chord. And then I'm re actually resolving it to the third of the B flat seven. B flat major seven. So again, that's something that I can feel, I can hear. So I, I kind of want to just stop for a second because I'm saying a lot of things and I want to continue to boil down really what's happening here and review what I've been talking about so far. So so far, I've really been honing in on the fact that there's this line between the subconscious and the conscious that's happening. The subconscious comes from practicing patterns, knowing what they feel like on my instrument, being able to hear them, having actually planned this stuff out in the past, like having done this so many times that there are just isms of how I play that come out over top of different harmonic contexts, right? Over top of the... Right? Those are some isms I play over top of uh, five chords, right? Altered five chords. Um, and I'm used to playing those things so that they feel natural for me to go into without me having to have intentionally thought to myself, now I'm going to play lick number 1B, right? <laughs> that's not what I'm thinking, right? So that's the subconscious. The conscious is I hear a line, right? And I go, hey, I like the direction of this. I'm going to continue going down that train. And because my ears are there, because my muscle memory is there, because I have mapped out my instrument pretty well, 
I kind of know where to play these. I know the chord tones. I, I've done it all so much. I'm not thinking about the chord tones. I'm not thinking about scales per se. I'm thinking about sounds and patterns that I've I, I accustomed myself to. But I'm thinking intentionally about the direction of my line, right? Um, like when we when I just right went up went up in pitch. I'm I'm consciously thinking like, oh, okay, we're going up in pitch. Let's keep going up higher, right? Because that's kind of where the emotion of the music is taking us. So it's this idea of like we're not thinking, but we are thinking. <laughs> the subconscious and the conscious. Let's continue listening and see what we can learn. <laughs> Okay, what's that what's that line? Something like that. Right? Right. So this is a particular line similar to another one that I played where I know where that flat 9 is. Um well, in this case it's the the flat 5 of the 2 chord, right? So and going to the third of the five chord. It's just a feeling, it's a sound that I know very well. So the question is, how do you resolve it? Right, there's a lot of different ways you could resolve it, but I just let my ear take control. But is that a line that I've played before? Something similar to it at least, right? So this wasn't just like something I magically came up with. I've played it before. Let's continue. Ooh, okay, so then... Something like that. Now, that intervolic leap, I've totally, heard, I've totally played that before, right? And I kind of, I know this is kind of maybe disappointing to some people. It's like, uh, is Brent really improvising? Well, I am improvising, right? But all good improvisers have played the stuff that they're improvising before, at least in some kind of way. The magic of improvisation is how it kind of can magically come together in a creative direction. Um, this this gets really exciting when you're playing with a really great band and you all connect together to start forming the direction of the music because then it's not just you. Like with a static backing track like this, it's difficult to not be the one who's just steering the ship completely, right? When you're with a great band of other musicians who are feeding off each other and pushing each other in certain directions, that's where you transcend the stuff that you just normally play, right? That's that's where it gets really exciting, but you can't get there unless you do this kind of work first. Um, okay, so I played a bluesy line. That's where we left off. So what did I do next? Let's listen. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Did you hear me start playing the lick? Remember, remember, this is the 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 lick, right? But uh, listen to this. Listen to this. This is this is the lesson. Listen. I didn't play it. I started it. Something like that. I, I changed the line. Now, I can guarantee you I was not consciously thinking, oh, I'm going to change that lick there or I'm going to start playing that lick there and change it. It's just that sound came up, but I changed, but it just naturally I went somewhere else. Listen to it again. I ended on the... Right? And, and even this part right here, I, I've played that before. Right? That sus sound. So even me playing that is something that I've played before, but right, I strung it. Right, I strung it together with that other line. Not consciously, just naturally, because I played it so many times. Keep listening. Okay, patterns again. Um, let's back up a little bit so you can hear it a little bit more clear. I started playing a pattern. Oh, that's that line. 
think I just moved it down a half step. Right, so... Now, what was I thinking there? So what I was thinking there, uh, th this is this is this wasn't a conscious, perhaps, decision, as in I'm thinking about th it theoretically. But what I'm actually doing is I'm playing the B flat seven, but instead of going to the four chord, I'm going half step down. That'd be A seven. Then I'm going to A flat seven. Then I'm going to the G seven. That resolved to the C seven. So chromatic moving dominant seventh chords. I have practiced this before. I know that in music theory, if I want, instead of playing the original chord changes, I can create tritone substitutions. But at some point I had to think about what a tritone substitution is. I had to think about what chords they are. It's a dominant seventh chord. So here's the chord tones. That's just me playing root up to the seventh, the chord tones. But then I went, took that sus idea, right? So it's like... Something like that. That was the G7. That would be cool if I would have continued that on the C7. I don't think I did, though. So again, I practiced that before. I played that before. I know the concept of how I can move and play tritone substitutions and add substitutions to existing chord changes that we're already familiar with. So that makes it interesting, right? Okay, let's keep playing. Okay, I did the same thing there. So uh, what did I play? By the way, I learned this. I know exactly where I learned this from. I learned this from a, a YouTube video from like the 1990s. I think it was the 90s or the early 2000s. Um, I think, yeah, one of those. Where it was like a Joshua Redman, Peter Bernstein, um, Brian Blade. Uh, I can't remember the other musicians, but they were playing some kind of a blues. And I studied that Peter Bernstein solo left and right. And there's this one moment in the solo where he went, I think he played... But he did it like way faster, like something like that. So that 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 idea stuck with me and I learned it, right? So this is the importance. Like when we talk about learning licks, learning lines, I learned something that I really liked, and it was this Okay, it was this idea of, you know, kind of a bluesy tritony thing. So in other words, I came up with that idea, but then I did the same thing in the solo and I was hearing that, I was going. See how I took it down a half step, just like I did in the previous line before. I'm not sure if I continued it. Let's listen. I did continue it. I kind of messed up a little bit, and I think that flustered me. Yep, there it, there it is. I messed it up again. Right, so there, there you go. That's another reason why, you know, you practice technical things, because even if it kind of screws you up a little bit while you're improvising, that can kind of derail your improv a bit. So a classic example of that. But again, that's a line... An idea, a melodic idea that I learned a long time ago that I just loved, it stuck with me, and I've learned how to apply that over different contexts so that it comes out naturally in my playing. Okay, let's keep listening. We're getting close to the end here. Oh, there it is again. There it is again. Okay, I hit the sharp 11 there. And again, uh, what was I, was I really thinking about the sharp, playing the sharp 11? I, I don't know for a fact. Um, it could be though, because I, I hear that sound, I hear the sharp 11 on that dominant two chord. So it could be that like, I was thinking about it, just it happened quickly. All right, let's keep going. All right. Did you hear that? How it went something like. Right. 
right? I just started playing a lot of chromatic stuff and I just sort of let the flow of the motion go go with it, right? And a lot of that stuff is out of key, but I mean, it sounded good. Just kind of resolved it and it worked. Let's keep listening. Okay, cool. So I went... I think that's what I played. Yeah, so this is over the 251 to the G minor. I went... What I play? Right? But I hit out one note long before resolving it to the G minor. Then I thought to myself, well, let's play... I don't know, something like that. I, I just heard that sound and I wanted to take it up a little bit higher. So again, all this is uh, motivic development, theme and variation. I played one idea rhythmically that was longer, wasn't an eighth note line. And I just decided to take that same idea up a little bit higher in pitch to kind of add that, uh, that, that, that movement. Again, this stuff becomes natural when you hear it. And you can only hear it by practicing and slowing down and trying to figure it out yourself and then just doing it so many times that it's easy. Let's keep going. <laughs> I mean, you, you know that that's just natural, right? I think probably what I was thinking there is I is how did I end that line? Let's see. Yeah. The fact that I that I ended it on the root, I, I think I probably just heard it like Right, that's that that uh that little ending. I think it's the ending to four, right? Or no, maybe not. Um but I think I just heard that. Now, again, how did I hear that? I had to learn that line at some point. And then it just becomes natural to play that when you've heard that line and you've played it a lot. And then all of a sudden, you're able to organically work that in without consciously thinking about it. Okay, you hear that? Uh, so I went... I was moving it up, and then I played some other stuff, but then I went... You know, I kind of kept that movement going a little bit later. So it's that stream of consciousness, right, of just wanting to play the direction the music's going. Okay, and that was it. Okay, so, I, I mean, obviously at the end there... That is ended with with a bluesy line, and you know even that there this is pretty characteristic for me to end uh, a solo a bluesy a bluesy kind of tune like there is no greater love with like a bluesy kind of line. So, in summary, what was I actually thinking there? I I, I think the big takeaways are when you practice things in the practice room and you learn the jazz language and you practice chord tones and you practice guide tones and you practice composing your own solos and you practice learning other people's solos and you do that over and over again and you work out the muscle memory on your instrument and you do all that behind the scenes work, right? But then when you get out to actually play and improvise, you put that to the side and you start going with instinct and gut reactions then we start creating real music, right? But if we're thinking strictly as, okay, well, here's the two chord. Um, you know, I guess I could... I guess I could play the Locrian mode there, right? Because the Locrian mode, that has all the notes I want to hit. Well, it does, but if you're thinking about it that way, you're probably going to sound like you're playing scales. Or if you're thinking like... I'm going to hit the thirds of every single chord. That's something I tell, especially my inner circle members a lot. I'm like, hey, practice just playing and resolving to the thirds of every single chord, right? Because that's a surefire way to make sure you're going to resolve and play the changes. But it's a good thing to do that in the practice room. But then when you go to improvise, and if that's what you're always thinking about doing, you're going to sound like you're calculating your lines, right? So 
we practice the stuff in the practice room to get it deep into our subconscious. And then over time, it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen quickly. I, I mean, even now, just listening to this solo, I'm like, you know, that's great. I've come a long ways from when I first started playing jazz. A long ways. Trust me. Um, I, I used to not be able to play half of what I'm able to play right now, not even a quarter of what I'm able to play right now. But I can hear where I, where I wish I could go, the more freedom I wish I could have. Only thing I know is that in order to get that freedom that I want in my jazz playing and my improvisation, I've got to get the sounds, get the feelings, practice different kinds of chord progressions, get myself in a different musical context. And over time, not tomorrow, but over time, that's going to work itself out into my playing and I'm going to arrive to a higher level of consciousness in my jazz improv. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate your time today. Hope that you learned something from digging into this, getting some insight and some more further understanding of how you can improve as a jazz musician and a jazz improviser. Um, Hey, we do the good work in the LGS Inner Circle membership. We're not just learning about new music theory concepts and improv tricks, which we are doing that stuff, but we're actually taking action and we're practicing with step-by-step practice programs, um, tangible goals like learning one jazz standard a month, you know, stuff like this. And we're doing it together in a group full of musicians playing all sorts of different instruments, guitar, bass, piano, trumpet, saxophone. We have harmonica players. We have accordion players, right? And we're all doing this together and practicing together in a very motivating and inspiring and safe environment. So check out the LJS Inner Circle membership, ljsinnercircle.com. And uh, yeah, choose to invest in your jazz playing today. I think it's going to really pay off for you. And uh, we just have a lot of fun in there. So check it out. All right. We're going to be coming out with a great quick win podcast episode this Friday that I know you're going to love and have something nice and actionable to take to take along with you. So uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you in that episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes and don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.